Support for Yale Cancer Answers comes from AstraZeneca, dedicated to advancing options and providing hope for people living with cancer. More information at AstraZeneca-US.com. Welcome to Yale Cancer Answers with your host, Dr. Anise Chagpar. Yale Cancer Answers features the latest information on cancer care by welcoming oncologists and specialists who are on the forefront of the battle to fight cancer. This week, it's a conversation about liver cancer with Dr. Mario Strazabosco. Dr. Strazabosco is a professor of medicine and clinical program leader of the liver cancer program at the Yale School of Medicine, where Dr. Chagpar is a professor of surgical oncology. Mario, maybe we can start off by you telling us a little bit about liver cancers. So often, people um, have different kinds of liver cancers. Um, Sometimes cancers have started somewhere else and go to the liver, and sometimes cancers start in the liver. Can you kind of give us a, a framework of how to think about liver cancers? We distinguish cancer that start in the liver and we call them primary liver cancer, from cancer that um, go into the liver with the primary cancer that is somewhere else. Those are called secondary uh, liver cancer. And uh, in essence, they are metastasis from a primary tumor. Uh, Today, the topic we'll be chatting about is, is the cancer that happens in the liver as a primary site. And and those are less common than the cancers that um, spread to the liver from other sites. Is that right? This is right. Uh, they are uh, definitely less common, but it is true that liver ca- primary liver cancer is actually one of the few cancers that are still increasing in terms of incidence and also in terms of uh, mortality. So tell us a little bit more about primary liver cancers. Are there different types of primary liver cancer? Yes, there are uh, several types. The two main types are uh, the hepatocellular carcinoma, uh, which is the cancer that um, starts from the liver cells, the hepatocytes. It is the most common of them. And the other is called cholangiocarcinoma uh, that starts from the bile ducts inside or outside of the liver. And this is less common. So you mentioned that the, the incidence was increasing. What are the risk factors for getting liver cancer? Yes, the liver, uh, the, this is a very uh, important uh, question. So liver cancer is increasing as a result of uh, several worldwide uh, epidemiological trends. The, the main uh, risk factors are one, having liver disease, two, having hepatitis C, three, having hepatitis B, four, having an excessive consumption of alcohol, five, having what we call metabolic syndrome, which is the uh, result of being obese, of overweight, of having diabetes, or having other cardiovascular risk factor. In addition to that, there is a sixth epidemiological trend, which is very important, which is the uh, poor access to care in certain uh, countries and places inside countries that otherwise is a good access to care. These are the main uh, uh, factors that 
contributes in increasing the incidence of uh, primary liver cancer and particularly of hepatocellular carcinoma. Of course, the, the combination of this factor changes according to the geographical area, but it, the trend uh, is to um, have all of this factor with an impact uh, also in our states. It used to be that in the US, the incidence of HCC was lower, for example, than Asia, Africa, or other places. But now with migration and other factors, it it, it tends to uh, become uh, more uh, equal in terms of distribution of risk factors. And also these risk factors are changing. So we used to have a very big impact of hepatitis C now, with the new treatments of hepatitis C, we see a rise in, in the hepatocellular cancer that are actually a consequence of uh, the metabolic uh, risk factor, again, such as obesity, diabetes. So the incidence in the U.S. Uh, vis-a-vis Asia has increased. Um, and you mentioned that that was due to, in part, migration, i.e. Um, people from Asia moving to the U.S., which might imply some genetic factors. So is there a genetic underpinning to some of these cancers as well? I think this is more exposure to viral hepatitis, for example. Uh, One of the main uh, factors is uh, hepatitis B, which is a direct oncogenic virus. And it used to be lower here uh, and higher, for example, in the Mediterranean countries and and Asia. And, you know, changes in, in in the... worldwide population may change that. But one peculiar thing in the, in the U.S. is actually the increase uh, of metabolic risk factors. The cancer associated with uh, obesity and metabolism and, um, <clears throat> and diabetes. And one important thing to understand in terms of liver cancer is that uh, whereas we try to focus on one uh, risk factor, uh, as a matter of fact, uh, patients with liver cancer have several risk factors. It's not uh, unusual to find a patient that is overweight, maybe is diabetic, uh, which goes with being overweight, uh, and uh, he didn't know he had hepatitis C, and so kind of lived a normal life with you know drinking more than his liver could stand, and so here we are, and maybe even he was smoking, so. Just, just a regular guy that had uh, accrued uh, uh, four risk factors for liver cancer. So this is very important to understand. When they, they, when they add to each other, the increase in the risk factor is exponential. I want to pick up on the viral hepatitis, which increase the risk uh, of developing hepatocellular cancer. So hepatitis B and hepatitis C. Interestingly, as we're living through COVID right now, um, another viral disease um, for which we have a vaccine, it's important to understand that there are vaccines uh, for hepatitis B and C. Um, So have those vaccines had any impact on reducing the rates of hepatocellular cancer? So we have uh, a vaccination available for hepatitis A and B. Hepatitis A is not associated with liver cancer. It's the hepatitis that you actually uh, acquire through eating uh, like uh, shellfish, raw food, and so on. Uh, Hepatitis B, we have a vaccine which is extremely uh, efficient, uh, and uh, we have data showing that 
for example, in some uh, country in Africa where uh, they had a very uh, high incidence of hepatocellular cancer because of the maternal fetal uh, transmission uh, of hepatitis B, uh, and they implemented a mass vaccination program, there the incidence of uh, liver cancer drop, drop dramatically. So yes, it, it, it is there and we can uh, uh, decrease the incidence with vaccination. And in fact, most people is now uh, in the younger generation vaccinated for hepatitis B. For hepatitis C, unfortunately, we never made it with uh, trying to um, find a vaccine because of this uh, high variability of, of the virus. But uh, he, here we were lucky because uh, um, we were able to devise a pharmacological treatment. And so now we have a very effective way to eradicate the virus using small molecules compound. And um, that is an important uh, um, information. And overall, I think one message that it would be very important to get through to the public, most formal liver disease and therefore also liver cancer are preventable. And also treatable in terms of liver disease. So you can, you know, prevent uh, uh, risky behavior with for viral hepatitis. You can use uh, uh, vaccination. You can uh, treat viral hepatitis, both B and C, if you realize you are infected before uh, having a cirrhosis. All of this help. You can uh, avoid, of course, uh, 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 excessive use of alcohol. You can act on the lifestyle if you have diabetes, if you are obese. If you are obese, you know, you, you can lose weight, you can increase your exercise. You can control those factors. And, and so all of them are actually preventable, uh, acting both at a personal level and uh, or, you know, public health uh, action. So let, let's pick up on, on that uh, point. Um, so you mentioned a number of preventative measures. So if somebody gets vaccinated against hepatitis B, for example, and never contracts hepatitis B, it's understandable then that uh, they've eliminated that risk factor. Mm-hmm. But um, if they get hepatitis C and are treated for it, does that eradicate the risk of developing hepatocellular carcinoma or is the fact that they already had hepatitis C, even though it was treated, um, you know, does that still increase their risk? Well, I mean, the, and yes, that is a super question. <laughs> so, um, number one, there is a lot of people that have hepatitis C and they don't know it particularly in the so-called baby boomer. Number two, um, these drugs that I was mentioning, so-called DAA, direct uh, active antivirus, are extremely um, good. And they can eradicate the the virus in most cases. Then the question becomes, at what stage did you apply that treatment, number one? So did you have just a um, a minor chronic hepatitis or were you already progressed to have more fibrosis and cirrhosis? The the risk decreases in, in a different way 
whether you treated the hepatitis before becoming cirrhotic or when you were already fibrotic and cirrhotic. In this second uh, instance, uh, the decrease in the risk uh, is less uh, uh, important. One of the things that we learned uh, after treating many patients and eradicating the virus is that the risk of having liver cancer was decreasing, but would not zero. So there is still a substantial risk, even if it is, let's say, halved. So why is that? Uh, there was, you know, a, a big uh, controversy in the literature, uh, and I don't want to go into that, but um, I think that one of the problem is, A, the timing in the natural history of your disease in which you apply the treatment. B, that just to go back to the beginning of this conversation, we said the most of patients with uh, liver cancer, they have more than one risk factor. So if I only eliminate the virus and eradicate it, I decrease a very important risk factor, but I don't zero the risk factor because then the patient may be diabetic, the patient may be overweight, but the patient may be drinking or go back to drink because now he doesn't have the virus. So again, one of the important messages for our colleagues, but also for our patient is that liver care is a very comprehensive approach. Eliminating the virus is just step one. We're going to pick up on how we deal with all of the other lifestyle factors right after we take a quick break for a medical minute. Please stay tuned to learn more about advances in liver cancer with my guest, Dr. Mario Strazabasco. Support for Yale Cancer Answers comes from AstraZeneca, working to eliminate cancer as a cause of death. Learn more at AstraZeneca-US.com. This is a medical minute about smoking cessation. There are many obstacles to face when quitting smoking, as smoking involves the potent drug nicotine, but it's a very important lifestyle change, especially for patients undergoing cancer treatment. Quitting smoking has been shown to positively impact response to treatments, decrease the likelihood that patients will develop second malignancies, and increase rates of survival. Tobacco treatment programs are currently being offered at federally designated comprehensive cancer centers and operate on the principles of the U.S. Public Health Service Clinical Practice Guidelines. All treatment components are evidence-based and therefore all patients are treated with FDA-approved first-line medications for smoking cessation, as well as smoking cessation counseling that stresses appropriate coping skills. More information is available at YaleCancerCenter.org. You're listening to Connecticut Public Radio. Welcome back to Yale Cancer Answers. This is Dr. Anise Chagpar, and I'm joined tonight by my guest, Dr. Mario Strazabosco. We are discussing the care of patients with liver cancer. And right before the break, Mario, you were telling us about this plethora of factors that increase people's risk of breast cancer of liver cancer, um, and the fact that um, while we do have interventions uh, for hepatitis, 
there frequently are other factors that are are involved. Now, you mentioned a few that I'm going to kind of lump together, uh, which are metabolic syndrome, so uh, obesity and diabetes, as well as alcohol, which can lead to um, fatty liver. So can you tell us a little bit more about fatty liver and whether that um, impacts uh, the development of liver cancer and whether there's any, quote, safe amount uh, of alcohol that we can consume? Right. Uh, So um, uh, what we call fatty liver is a, it's a very common um, condition which is uh, identified by an increased deposition of fat in the liver cells. Fatty liver can be the result of several um, problems, but most likely it's due to um, the effect of obesity, the effect of diabetes, hyperlipidemia, and what we call metabolic syndrome, which is a complex of uh, changes that are uh, increasing the risk uh, of cardiac disease, for example. This is how we recognize this uh, at the beginning. We used to think that uh, fatty liver was a relatively benign condition, but now we understand that some patients with fatty liver uh, will develop what we call steatohepatitis, so an inflammatory condition of the liver that is not anymore benign, but can lead to chronic liver disease like cirrhosis and can be associated with the development of liver cancer. Uh, clearly, the amount of people that are affected by this condition is, is very high. So um, the question is, how do we follow those patients? What do we do? Uh, it, you know, it would be important to try to prevent it. And so how do you prevent it? You know, there are data that shows that if you lose uh, 10% of your body weight, uh, the risk decreases. Uh, this 10% of your body weight should better be lost uh, in uh, your so-called abdominal fat, because this is a kind of fat that is more associated with this complication. Uh, we have data that shows that increase the increase in the physical activity is going to play uh, a role. Uh, we see that with patients that have this predisposition, a, a low carbohydrate uh, uh, diet uh, is uh, preferred. Uh, they should avoid sodas and so on. And so, but I, you know, I do understand this is a this is a change in lifestyles, which are very, very difficult to achieve. But addressing this metabolic factor is really part uh, of the constellation of medical action that we need to take uh, in patients that have the predisposition for liver cancer or they have liver cancer. So, I mean, it seems like um, this real. I mean, that constellation, right? Uh, Exercise more, lose weight, eat right. Um, That's really a constellation for good health in general and and has so many um, really important 
uh, health benefits. But one question that people may be wondering about is, you know, if I've if I've been overweight all my life, and we know that there, you know, there is an uptick now even in childhood obesity. So, if somebody has been overweight, obese, they then lose a bunch of weight. Is the damage to their liver already done, such that you know you're having a relatively small impact on reducing hepatocellular carcinoma, or is this really reversible? It's um, um, if you eliminate the damaging condition to the liver, you can, to a certain extent, uh, reverse the chronic damage. We learned this when we started to treat patients with hepatitis B and antivirals. They were very effective in suppressing the virus, and we saw that patients went from a complete cirrhosis to an incomplete cirrhosis. So yes, there is a remodeling of your liver. Uh, this is now complete, uh, and how much uh, it happens it depends by how far you went, uh, but there is to a certain extent the modeling on the liver. And we saw that happening in patients with uh, uh, the stop drinking alcohol. All of them have an improvement after that. We saw with patients that we treated for hepatitis C. Now, to what extent uh, this is going to impact uh, uh, the natural history of uh, metabolic liver disease is less uh, certain, but it's, most, it's very likely that we can. You know, for example, if you decrease your body weight, your risk uh, decreases. Now, the trick uh, is that when you decrease your body weight, you don't need to get it back, right? So it's very easy to decrease 10% of your body weight, but what it counts is two years after, did you maintain that 10% decrease? Because that is what, is ca- what counts in terms of uh, um, prospective uh, risk reduction. Right. So you want to make sustainable lifestyle changes. Now, one of the things that you mentioned was that you've seen the fact that you can reduce risk in people who have stopped drinking. So, uh, abstained from alcohol. But some people may be wondering, you know, is there any, quote, safe limit for alcohol? So if you used to drink four drinks a night, is it okay to drink one drink a night? Um, You know, is there any safe level of alcohol to which the damage to your liver is is minimal and, and the risk of hepatocellular carcinoma is is minuscule or is all alcohol going to be uh, somewhat toxic to your liver? Um, we used to think that there was like a threshold. This is being kind of revised, but uh, it's very well known that a little amount of alcohol can actually improve uh, your metabolic risk. However, how little is enough uh, it doesn't really depend on a fixed dose. It depends on, you know, what your genes are and what your history is. So if you're drinking alcohol, but you have uh, hepatitis C, so it's zero. There's not even smelling it and, and so on. So it's a, it's a difficult question to reply in. You say, yeah, you can drink as much as you want. No, it's not true. <laughs> So, so in general, your advice is abstinence is is the gold standard. 
it, it depends on what your uh, risk overall risk profile is. Okay, but let's say if you drink once in a while, that is clearly not a problem. But if you, it's your habit, uh, it may become a problem. This doesn't say that if you go out for dinner, you can drink a, a glass of wine. Uh, of course you can, right? But everything is, I mean, e even eating a candy is okay. <laughs> or, but, right. but not okay if you're diabetics. So, so this kind of brings us to the point of surveillance of the liver, right? How can we tell how damaged our liver is, whether it's from diabetes or whether it's from obesity or whether it's from alcohol or whether it's from hepatitis that, as you mentioned before the break, we may not even know that we have. Are there ways of, of looking at the liver to surveil it? Yes. So everything starts from uh, understanding whether your liver is damaged or not. So you may, for any reason, do some laboratories that include liver function tests. You may get uh, an ultrasound uh, or you may get tested for hepatitis C, for example, if you have, uh, uh, if you were born uh, uh, with a baby boomer, so if you had a risky behavior like, you know, drugs or you had transfusion, so anything that may increase the risk of viral hepatitis and so on. Then a way to understand how chronic is your is your damage, you can use a fiber scan. So it's like a uh, it's kind of a machine that looks like an ultrasound, but it is not an ultrasound but because it's measure how elastic is your liver, and that can give us an estimate whether you have uh, significant fibrosis or not. Or you can do an uh, MRI. There are several ways to understand if you have chronic liver disease. Then if you have chronic liver disease with significant fibrosis, uh, the current guidelines are that you should be uh, doing an ultrasound and an alpha fetoprotein determination every six months. Uh, and there is very good evidence that this can help uh, diagnosing liver cancer in an early stage and therefore in a, uh, when the treatment can be successful. Uh, there are other uh, patients that may need screening, like uh, patients uh, mainly from Asia that have uh, hepatitis. There are hepatitis B carriers and are uh, less uh, than 40 years of age um, or, or above 40 years of age. And uh, other patients, for example, the one that are hepatitis uh, C and uh, have been treated, but they have significant fibrosis. Those are actually patients that need to have, to, to have a screening. So the screening is a very important uh, component of our strategy, uh, but still we see patients coming to the clinic with um, uh, end-stage cancers or cancers that are beyond uh, uh, curative options. And that is a failure of, of screening. But of course, you can have the situation in which the patient uh, didn't know he had liver disease because a lot of times liver disease can be significant, uh, but, but not symptomatic. Or patient that knew it, but were not, were not adequately cared about. So still, uh, the amount of patient that come with advanced liver disease is higher than it should be because we do have... Uh, uh, again, way to prevent the cancer, way to screen uh, 
uh, to get an early diagnosis. And it is important because we now have several ways to approach liver cancer. And these um, therapeutic approaches are increasing by every year. So it's very important to get diagnosed and to go to a center where you have a multi-specialty program so that all aspects of the care can be addressed at the highest professional level. Yeah. You know, it brings back one of the the other risk factors that you mentioned, uh, which was access to care, people who don't have good access to care. And I wonder whether you mentioned that as a risk factor, because if you don't have access to care, you can't get appropriate screening. Is that right? You cannot get a puppy screening and it may not be getting uh, the best care. It's something that we will be investigating uh, next because it's really a pity that you have ways to prevent it, way to treat it, but people don't even get close to that opportunity. It's really saddening. Dr. Mario Strazobosco is a professor of medicine and clinical program leader of the liver cancer program at the Yale School of Medicine. If you have questions, the address is canceranswers at yale.edu, and past editions of the program are available in audio and written form at yalecancercenter.org. We hope you'll join us next week to learn more about the fight against cancer here on Connecticut Public Radio.